ministry colleague from halfway around the world called me. It was the middle of the night for him and midday for me. He was exhausted, worn down from the effects of the pandemic on the villages he served. He normally was one of several clergy serving half a dozen congregations, but through deaths and departures, now there was only him. Besides juggling new technology to make a Sunday worship schedule possible for these congregations, their pastoral needs had risen significantly during the pandemic. Although there was some good news. In one village, church participation was up markedly, especially among young families. But that also meant more ministry needs for him. The pretext of the call was to ask me if I could take over his mentoring of a doctoral student for a while uh, to give him a little bit of rest and to cope with what he needed. But that simple request led to a longer conversation between us about ministry, peace and justice, various issues related to his homeland, his family, which fortunately was doing well, and the need for some time to rest. We eventually closed with his words, I think I can sleep now, shortly before another busy day would begin for him. We probably all have felt overloaded and overwhelmed at some point, only to find that we couldn't sleep well. And just as we thought we might get some rest, our plans are changed by some urgent need that we can't turn away from. And so it was for Jesus and the disciples. The only rest they get is on the boat ride to Gennesaret, at least for those not involved in getting the boat to the destination. In the Gospel of Mark, we won't hear much about rest and relaxation. Instead, we hear a running tension between exhaustion and the need for rest, which is contrasted by being called back into action. This is a pattern all too familiar to what essential caregivers and others have experienced over the pandemic. We may remember interviews in the media with distraught nurses exhausted physically and emotionally by the intense caseload uh, and the stream of deaths that they've had to cope with. In the gospel, we hear an urgency to address people's yearning needs with the healing that Christ brings. Indeed, in today's passage and in the end of this chapter of Mark, we hear the message of healing for all who sought it enough to touch the, even the fringe of Jesus' cloak. Two themes tie our lessons together this morning. First, our tremendous need for healing, individually and as a society, especially spiritual healing. And second, God's faithfulness to us, God's compassion, 
God's promise not to forsake us or abandon us, and God's promise of healing for all who seek it. As rabbi and post-Holocaust theologian Eugene Borowitz has noted, people may give up on God, but God doesn't give up on them. God will search them out wherever they are, and when they are willing to respond, God's healing process of reconciliation can begin. Healing comes in many forms, just as a need for healing can have many causes. Some problems are at root spiritual. Others may be physical or structural. We might not be able to cure them, but we can heal how we relate to them and to one another. Spiritual healing can affect our thoughts, decisions, and actions, and in turn, it can contribute to overall or universal well-being. This is an increasingly serious conversation in contemporary medicine, and it's also a premise of ecotheology and spirituality. For example, we are spiritually healed. We are in turn are able to make our healing decisions that can help heal relationships, including our relationship to the environment. Christ's message of universal healing to all who reach out for it or are helped by others to do so defies notions of exclusion, purity or impurity, and other types of us versus them polarization, the kind that tear our human fabric apart. Had Jesus limited his healing to Jewish law, those touching the fringe of his cloak would have made him ritually unclean, something to be avoided at all costs. The letter to the Ephesian makes this very point as well emphasizing the radical inclusiveness of Christ for everyone. As we heard, Christ Jesus has made Jews and Gentiles into one and has broken down the dividing wall as well as the hostility between them, such that he might create one new humanity in place of the two. Yet purity notions still inflict us. Hate crimes have been on the rise for over a decade, according to FBI statistics, and that was before the pandemic. Arthur Brooks, a Harvard Business and School of Government professor who studies, of all things, love and happiness, recently spoke about the strong polarization in our country. He believes one of the reasons for it is the increase in people uninvolved in religion who have turned their moral energies toward politics instead, fusing their political identity and their social identity. Those who also have a religious identity, especially in the more mainline religions and denominations, are somewhat less likely to polarize since those groups have sizable numbers 
of members in both political parties. And people, therefore, may worship together, as well as socialize with one another in the congregation who think differently than they do. When you worship and you become friends with one another, the differences remain, but it doesn't divide us. He adds that the media have projected a sense of moral outrage, almost quasi-religiously, and people have become addicted to it. But he believes that our polarization can be reversed or healed. The key is to lead people from an ethos of fear to one of love through what he calls, quote, a virtuous cycle of love. End quote. This cycle includes expressions of warm-heartedness, tolerance, promoting community and unity, and letting go of our fears, also building bridges across our differences. This is exactly the type of healing that the church can offer to our world today. It's also the type of feeling that we at All Souls have sought to bring about within our community and also as we go forth in the community at large. And it is also what our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has sought to do within the Episcopal Church overall, as well as his speaking out publicly on behalf of the church to address a range of political and social issues. Shortly after January 6th, he wrote, and I'm going to quote, Jesus spoke of love most consistently the closer he got to the cross. This way of love is the way of sacrifice, the way of unselfishness, the way of selflessness that seeks the good of the other as well as oneself. This is the way of love that can heal our hurts, that can heal our land, that can help us become one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And he continues saying, so I would ask you to do two things. I'm asking you to make a commitment, a renewed commitment to live the way of love as Jesus has taught us, and to do it by making a commitment to go out and bless somebody. Bless somebody you disagree with. Bless someone you agree with. But to go out and bless somebody by helping somebody along the way. Go out and bless somebody by listening to their story and their life to go out and be an instrument of God's peace, an agent of God's love, end quote. In response to Professor Books and also to our presiding bishop, we need to be more visible as people of faith, as agents of love and reconciliation in our communities, online communities, as well as in the world especially in those places where our differences are the strongest. This means that as Christians, we are all 
to be healers, each in our own way, according to our own gifts or abilities. But most importantly, being spiritually present so that Christ's healing can work through us to others. Not everyone or everything may be physically cured, but potentially they can be spiritually cured. But what about healing for the exhausted healers? Rest is important, but it isn't the only way that we can recharge our batteries. Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen, in his book Creative Ministry, wrote about burnout that can occur when we become attached to wanting outcomes from our efforts. Frustration sets in when we don't feel like we are making headway. In a lecture, he described his own experience in South America, where people would often say, thank you, Father, and then simply carry on as they had before. Now, and said, the key is to offer what we can freely, letting go of our expectations and letting go of our potential disappointment. Who knows what God might work in them after we've done what we can. Healing doesn't mean we won't face exhaustion and other challenges. Personally, I found that moving out of a transactional mindset and into what Jewish philosopher Ma Martin Buber might call an I and thou moment, where chronological time stands still, can provide healing and transformation to both the healer and the one being healed. My ministry colleague, after a long conversational journey with a longtime friend, ultimately felt rejuvenated enough to carry on. I think I can sleep now. Amen. <laughs>